Good morning and welcome to episode 59 of Mystery, Murder, and Magic. Today we're kicking off the mini-series we're doing on the Roaring 1920s. I've always been drawn in by that area, era of time, so I thought it'd be a good era to explore as far as crimes, scandals, and murders. And today we're kicking it off with both a murder and a scandal. How exciting is this? Let's get this started. It's Monday, and that means it's time for a new episode of Mystery, Murder, and Magic. And here's your host. Andrea Lee and sometimes Alex. It was the summer of 1921 and a silent movie actor named Fatty Arbuckle was at the height of his career. In fact, Paramount Pictures had just paid him a whopping $3 million over the past three years. Now, $3 million is an extraordinary amount of money these days. So just imagine what it was like to have that kind of money back in the 1920s. He also owned a 21-room mansion in L.A. in a $34,000 Pierce Aero vehicle, plus many other trophy cars. So who was this fatty buckle? Let's talk about that for a minute or two. Now, of course, Fatty wasn't his real name. He was born Roscoe Arbuckle on March 24th, 1887 to William and Mary Arbuckle in Smith Smith Center, Arkansas. And he was one of nine children. Well, when he was born, he weighed just over 13 pounds. And with him being such a big baby, his dad refused to believe that Roscoe, a.k.a. Fatty, was his kid because both of his parents were small-built people. But y'all, let me just tell y'all from personal experience, that has nothing to do with anything. You know, it could have been that his mom had gestational diabetes, and that will make a baby big. Alex was almost 10 pounds when he was born, but his dad and I are very big people. Now, yeah, I've gained weight over the past few years, but... At that time, I was still small. So, yeah, before you go pointing fingers and about, like, infidelity, use your noggin. Well, because he was such a big baby, it was quite the difficult labor and delivery for his mom. And after his birth, she continued to have chronic health issues, and she passed away when Roscoe was only 11. Now, his dad had named him Roscoe Conkling Arbuckle after the womanizing senator from New York. Roscoe Conkling. <coughs> Sorry about that, y'all. Now, it's been said that Fatty's dad hated Conkling, so I guess he put that name on him because he believed his wife had cheated on him.
Now, his family moved to Santa Ana, California when Arbuckle was only two. And by the time he was eight, he was performing on stage for the first time with actor and playwright Frank Bacon's company when they came through Santa Ana. This is when he discovered that he really loved acting and he continued acting until his mom's death. After his mom died, his father refused to take care of him, so this 11-year-old child had to go out and do odd jobs to support himself. Arbuckle had the habit of singing while he worked, and it just so happened that a professional singer heard him singing one day and encouraged him to perform in an amateur talent show. He ended up winning the contest, but not for his singing or dancing. When he was about to be pulled off the stage because the crowd or the audience just wasn't digging it, he did a flip into the orchestra pit and the crowd went crazy for it and he ended up winning the contest. Soon after that, he began his vaudeville career and then his acting career really started to take off. It was in July of 1909 that his actual film career started. I'm not going to go through his entire film career, but just know that he was a pretty big deal back then. So fast forward to 1921. Not only had Arbuckle earned $3 million over the past three years, but he had also signed another multi-million contract with Paramount. His latest movie, Crazy to Marry, was playing in just about every theater across the United States. So a friend of his, Fred Fishbach, planned a really big party. And it was a three-day party, okay, over the Labor Day weekend to celebrate Arbuckle's success. And this party was to be held at the St. Francis Hotel in San Francisco. A few days before Arbuckle was supposed to travel to San Francisco, He was at a mechanic shop having his Pierce Aero vehicle serviced. And while he was waiting, he decided to sit down. Well, unknown to him, he sat down on top of a rag that had been soaked with some acid. Well, this caused really bad second degree degree burns on his butt cheeks. And he was tempted to cancel the whole party because he was feeling so bad from the burns. But his friend Fishbach insisted that everything would be fine. And he even found this inflatable donut pillow for our buckle to sit on during the drive and the two made their way up the coast to that hotel. Now this was going to be one big bash. Now these, remember this took place during the days of, of uh, or the days of prohibition. But Fishbach had arranged for loads of liquor, the right guests and the rooms for the party. The next morning, which was Friday morning, Arbuckle woke up to a bunch of uninvited guests. I mean, there he was, still in his pajamas, and there was people there that he didn't really want there. Among those were two females that he told Fishbach that he wasn't fond of having there because of their reputations and the fact that there was alcoholic beverages flowing freely. One of those people was 25-year-old Virginia Rapp, and the other was Maude Delmont. Rap was known as a party girl, among other things, and she was an aspiring actor. Delmont was known as a madam, if you know what I mean, and she loved to blackmail people. 
Soon, though, I guess Arbuckle got over his concerns with those two being there, and he was enjoying this big party that his friend had thrown for him. Now, there's all these different versions of what happened over the following hours, and we're going to talk about a few of those stories now. Maud Delmont told police that after Arbuckle and Rap had a few drinks together, he led Rap into an adjoining room, and Delmont swore that as they went into the room, Arbuckle said, I've waited for you for five years, and now I've got you. She went on to say that about 30 minutes later, she heard Rap screaming, so she, as in Maud Delmont, first knocked on the door of that room they had went in, and then she started kicking at it. Eventually, Arbuckle answered the door, she said. He was still in his pajamas and wearing Rap's hat. On the bed behind him, Rap laid slouched across the bed, moaning, and these weren't moans of pleasure, it was moans of pure agony. Delmont claims that Rap then said Arbuckle did it. Now, Rap was then helped to another hotel room and a doctor was called in. She stayed at the hotel for a couple of days, but then she was transported to an area hospital for treatment, but sadly she passed away on September the 9th. Well, as you can imagine, the Hearst newspapers went crazy. And later on, it was said that the scandal that was caused by this sold more copies than when the Lusitania had sank. Paper claimed that Arbuckle, who was a lot bigger than the petite rap, had ruptured her bladder while sexually assaulting her. And this caused crude editorial cartoons to be circulated and wild rumors did their rounds too. The biggest rumor was that Arbuckle had committed sexual debauchery and that was his thing. And then once this started spreading across the country, that movie, Crazy to Marry, was ripped out of every theater it was being shown in. Arbuckle turned himself into police, and he spent three weeks there in jail. First, he was quiet, and he didn't really want to talk to the police, but his attorneys persuaded him to make a statement. And when he did, the story was much different than that one that Delmont had been given the police. He said that after having a few drinks with Rap, she became emotional, and she started complaining that she couldn't breathe. Then she started ripping her clothes off. Arbuckle claims that not even for a moment was he alone with Rap. He had witnesses that could back up that claim. He later found Rap in his bathroom vomiting, so he and a couple of other guests tried to revive her because they thought that she had just drank too much. Well, after that, they got her own hotel room so that she could recover. And unfortunately, unfortunately, as we know, Rap didn't recover and Arbuckle was charged with manslaughter and scheduled to go to trial the following November. The district attorney during that time in San Francisco, Matthew Brady, thought this would be an excellent case to kick off his political career, but the star witness for the prosecution was putting a damper on that. Mod Delmont gave altering versions of facts surrounding the events that happened that day back on Memorial Day weekend. In one tale, she would say that she and Rap had been friends for a lifetime. And then in another version, she said she had only met Rap a few days before the party. 
Now, Delmont had her own criminal history, including fraud and extortion, so Brady didn't think this would help his case at all. Delmont was also known to acquire young women to attend such parties that were also attended by wealthy men. Soon these wealthy men would be accused of rape, and Delmont would blackmail these men to be kept quiet, basically. But one of the big things that ruined her being a witness for the prosecution was a series of telegrams that she sent to attorneys in San Diego and L.A. saying, quote, We have Roscoe Arbuckle in a hall here. Chance to make some money out of him. So Delmont basically turned out to be a scheming rat, but Brady continued with that trial. And to make matters worse, the newspapers that were cashing in on the situation never once questioned Ma Delmont's version of events, and they continued continued using Arbuckle as their weapon boy. Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin was two of Arbuckle's very good friends, and they swore that this was not like anything they would know Arbuckle to do. At the trial, Arbuckle's defense attorneys presented solid medical evidence that Virginia Rapp had suffered from a chronic bladder condition, and they even presented evidence from the autopsy that there were no signs that she had ever suffered any violence that day and that she had not been attacked in any way. The defense also had witnesses that would testify about Rapp's reputation, but Arbuckle wouldn't let them put him on the witness stand out of respect for the deceased. Even the doctor who cared for Rapp at the hotel said in his testimony that Rapp told him that Arbuckle had never tried to assault her, but the prosecution dismissed that as hearsay. When the jury went into deliberations, they came back with a 12 or a 10 to 2 vote for acquittal. When he was tried for the second time, the jury was still at a stalemate. But finally, after a third trial that took place in March of 1922, Arbuckle allowed his attorneys to call those witnesses who could testify to Rapp's reputation. I mean, he really had no choice because at this time, he had already spent $700,000 on his defense, and he was running out of def- uh, out of funds. And everyone figured that if he came out of this trial acquitted, of his charges that his Hollywood career was pretty much dead and would never recover. Now, these people that Arbuckle allowed to testify at the third trial said that Rapp had suffered from several previous attacks to her abdominal area. She was a heavy drinker, and she would often remove her clothes at parties after heavy or heavily drinking. They also said that she was very irresponsible when it came to sex, and she even had an illegitimate daughter. One of the witnesses even verbally attacked Maude Delmont's reputation, saying that she was the, quote, complaining witness that never witnessed. Well, after deliberating for only five minutes, the jury acquitted Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle, and four of those minutes were used to prepare a statement. And that statement said, quote, Acquittal is not enough for Roscoe Arbuckle. We feel that a great injustice has been done to him. There was not the slightest proof adduced to connect him in any way with the commission of a crime. He was manly throughout the case and told a straightforward story, which we all believe. 
We wish him success and hope that the American people will take the judgment of 14 men and women that Roscoe Arbuckle is an enti- is entirely innocent and free from all blame. End quote. A week later, Will's, Will Hayes was hired by the motion picture industry to restore its reputation and he ended up banning Fatty Arbuckle from ever appearing on any film again. And even though he changed his mind eight weeks later, the damage had been done. Now, Arbuckle changed his name to William B. Goodrich and worked behind the scenes of movies as a director for movies who had stood by or for friends who had stood by him. But he was barely making ends meet, and at the age of 46, Arbuckle passed away in his hotel room in the arms of his third wife after suffering a heart attack on June 29, 1933. Get this, y'all. He had just signed a feature film contract with Warner Brothers. So maybe he was on his way back up. Now, it's been said that Arbuckle has been the inspiration for many modern-day comedic actors such as John Belushi, Benny Hill, John Candy, and Chris Farley. It's also been said that this was the very first scandal in the movie movie industry, and since then, the industry has survived many scandals. Now, as far as I can tell, Maude Delmont never was punished for the lies that she told in this case, but I really think that she should have been. I mean, what she did was just plain out dirty. She could be charged with perjury because, you know, she never testified at any of the trials, but surely there's something that she could have been charged for. Well, that's it for today's Mystery, Murder, and Magic. Have a great week and be sure to come back on Wednesday for the Midweek Mini. Oh, and I want y'all to go by YouTube by using the link in the episode description for our channel and hit that subscribe button. We'll appreciate it so much.